Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, How to Neighbor. In this series, we are learning how to build relationships with our neighbors and how to do good in the context of those relationships. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We'd love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Well, good morning, church. Um, if, if you're just in here, my name is Dan Hermantz. I'm the associate pastor here. Pastor Clark is out uh, for the next two months. So uh, myself and then a couple guest speakers will be filling in. But uh, if you haven't heard, he's doing very well. So we appreciate your prayers. Um, but honestly, I'm very excited uh, because I get to speak this summer. I get to speak on um, this series that we've been praying into for a long time. And it's a series called How to Neighbor. I mean, we introed it a little bit last week. But basically, over the next four weeks of the summer, we're going to be looking at four major areas uh, in our world that the church needs to be on the forefront of neighboring well, of loving well. Um, and so we're going to look at, you know, orphans embraced, poor empowered, lonely loved. But today, to start off, we're going to look at a topic uh, of racism. And, and today is called Races Reconciled. And, um, you know, I, I want to be honest and, and very transparent with you before we begin this morning. Uh, I want to acknowledge the fact that I have a very limited perspective on this topic. Um, and so I hope that you can understand that as I speak on this, um, it's with a pure heart and a humble posture. It's not that I think I have this figured out. It's not uh, because I, you know, have studied a ton. It's genuinely because we feel that this is something that the church needs to be on the forefront of. Um, but I acknowledge that. Um, and even, even as I was, you know, prepping and praying this week to speak, the Lord brought um, an interaction that I had with a very close friend of mine uh, to my heart. About a year and a half ago, you know, I was sitting across a, a dinner table, um, you know, with, with a fellow pastor from this region. And, uh, you know, he, he's an African-American. He's a, he's a black man. He has a, a dad of two teenage boys. And um, they're a little older now. But at that time, you know, they were late teens. And he has a younger daughter. And uh, we were sitting across the table. And we were talking just about life and, and just kind of talking about ministry and all these different things. Um, you know, he's a pastor in the East Hartford area. And, uh, and the topic of race came up. And one of the things that have been on my heart, you know, throughout just what's happening with our, you know, politics and media, and, and there's just a lot of noise surrounding a lot of different topics. And so I, I asked him, because I had been watching the news that morning, I said, you know, uh, we'll just, his name isn't this, but let's just say his name was John. You know, hey, John, you know, have you ever experienced racism in your own life? Um, you know, he grew up in New York. He grew up, uh, you know, in the Bronx. And um, he said, Dan, I, you know, I've experienced racism all my life, but I want to tell you the racism that really impacts me today is the racism that impacts my kids. And uh, I got emotional the first service. I'm going to try not to do so this service. So you're welcome, Louisa, ahead of time. But, um, but basically, you know, I said, what do you mean? What do you mean your kids? And he said, you know, Dan, you have no idea as a dad how hard the conversation is to sit across my two teenage boys and walk with them step by step about what they should do when they're pulled over by police in Hartford. And, and the fear that he has every time his boys are out and they're on their way home, the fear that they might not come home. You know, and his boys aren't involved in gang violence. His boys are, are great students. They're, you know, very like well-behaved. They're sports kids, they're great, but just purely because of the color of their skin, um, he has to worry about them in a way that I'll never have to worry about my kids. And so I thought about that conversation with him and the Lord humbled me. And, and I honestly, I was like, am I even qualified to speak on this? Um, 
but with a lot of prayer and again with a very limited personal perspective. Um, I'm here before you this morning and I would challenge you this morning, church. Many of us share a limited perspective on this topic, but many of us have a lot of opinions. And for the next 30 minutes, I'm gonna ask you, let's put aside our opinions, let's put aside our political thoughts, let's put aside all those things and we're gonna pick up the Bible and we're gonna look at God's heart on this issue because the Bible is not mute on the issue of racism and neither should we as a church. Um, so, so that being said, you know, we're gonna be in this whole series of how to, how to neighbor for you know, a few weeks. And, and the cool part is, is that the opening scripture and where we're gonna sit for a little bit today, not only opens the whole series, but it actually speaks directly to this first topic of racism reconciled. And we see this in Luke 10. And in Luke 10, we see Jesus is talking about, you know, he's talking to an expert of the law. And so, you know, the Bible talks in Luke 10, it starts in about verse 25. He's talking to an expert in the law, and the expert in the law asks Jesus a question. I'm assuming to trip him up because if he was an expert in the law, he wouldn't have to ask a question necessarily. And so he asks Jesus, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus answers, or he asks a question with another question. Jesus tends to do that. You know, when someone asks Jesus a question, usually his answer is another question. Um, and so Jesus says, you know, what's written in the law? And so the expert says, you know, quote, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus is like, that's it, you got it. So then the man, and this will be up on the screen in Luke 10, 29, but the man wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So we have this situation where Jesus is sitting with this expert. You know, he asks him this question. You know, he answers correctly. So then he's trying to justify himself. And in my mind, he's probably trying to figure out like the least amount of people he can love to still fulfill the neighbor quota that Jesus is talking about. And I think a lot of us do that a lot of times where there's a command from the Bible. Jesus gives us a command and we're like, okay, how can I like follow this command with the least amount of output possible. It's like me, that was like my skill in high school is how can I complete this homework assignment with the least amount of work possible? There was like those spark notes that you would read, you didn't have to read the actual book, but then your teacher read the spark notes and it was just a whole, it was a, it was a slippery slope. But anyway, so I think that that's what this guy is doing. Maybe it's his situation, but basically he says, you know, who's my neighbor? And so I'm thinking he's probably asking himself, like, who do I have to love? You know, do I have to love somebody who listens to diff different music? In my perspective, do I have to listen to somebody, love somebody who listens to country music? Like, those people are hard. To, I'm just kidding. You know, but, you know, do I have to love a Democrat? Or do I have to love a Republican? Do I have to love somebody who voted for Hillary? Or do I have to love somebody who voted for President Trump? Do I have to love somebody with piercings and tattoos? I covered them today, but that's not for a very different reason. You know, do I have to love someone with a different accent or maybe a different skin color or from a different culture or somebody who eats different types of food? So he asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? But here's the cool part about this in this story. Jesus won't say who to neighbor, but instead he explains how to neighbor. Do you get it now, church? You get the, the series? He doesn't say who to neighbor. He doesn't answer that question because in the context of this, you know Jesus is assuming everyone is our neighbor. He's speaking about every person, but instead of saying who to neighbor to make this guy like get off the hook about not loving, you know, maybe somebody in his life, he says, no, instead I'm gonna tell you how to neighbor. So Jesus answers the question with a story. And it's a story about a Jewish man. This Jewish man was on his way to Jericho. He was traveling to Jericho and he was jumped and he was beaten up close to death. 
And so this Jewish man is lying on the side of the road, and then Jesus talks about three interactions that happen next. So this Jewish man, he's beaten, he's hurt. He was on his way to Jericho. He's lying there. And at first, a, a priest, a Jewish priest passed by, and he, and he walks along, and I'm, I'm picturing a road situation. And so you know, there's a road between us, and there's this you know, Jewish priest and, and the guy that's hurt. And so the Jewish priest looks at him and continues on. The Bible says that he continues to move on. Now, we can probably justify this. You know, he's a priest. He might have been on his way to work. You know, priests has a, have a code of conduct. They, you know, they can't be around unclean things, especially if this man were to die. They can't be around dead bodies. So maybe this priest in his mind is like, you know what, like, I won't be able to do my job. I'm going to be late. Like, maybe he's qualifying in, his, in his, his head why it's okay just to leave this man. And so the Jewish man and a Jewish priest, I'm, I'm saying these words very importantly and specifically, Jewish priest walks by, doesn't help him. Next, it talks about how a Jewish, a Levite, another Jewish person walks by, and it just says he passes on the other side, and he passes by. But then Jesus said three words in the story that would have been shocking to people of this time. And he said, but a Samaritan, but a Samaritan. And this, again, would have caught the attention of, of this expert of the law and of people of this time, because if you know anything about you know, biblical history, you know that Jews and Samaritans do not get along. These were people that did not connect. They did not get along. There's a lot, 700 years of hatred between these two cultures. See, when the Jews 700 years pre, you know, before this were exiled, a group of Jewish people kind of stayed back and they, they intermarried with people that were worshiping pagan gods. And so they, they intermarried across cultures and across race. So they had mixed race kids who were called the Samaritans. And so the Samaritans were hated by the Jews, and usually how life usually ends up working is over 700 years, the Jews, uh, the Samaritans ended up hating back the Jews because of that hate. And it was this 700-year hatred of, of culture, like major, I think, more than anything that we've ever seen. And so by Jesus saying, but a Samaritan in the sentence and bring a Samaritan into a Jewish context was, would have caught anybody's attention. He says, but a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, wounds pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own dog, donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. What he did was, he crossed the street. He walked across the street and he helped somebody who he was trained and grown and raised to hate. Dr. Martin Luther King has this great quote from one of his famous speeches about this story. And he says, the first question the priest and the Levite who walked by asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan reversed this question. And he said, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him. If I do not stop, if I do not cross the street and help this man, what will happen to him? See, church, this in the purest form in my belief is the heart of the gospel, is the heart of the gospel of loving God and loving others, even if, and some would argue, especially if they're different than you are. So we see again this story where culturally somebody crossed the bounds and loved somebody that was in need. Dennis Leary has a, a quote that is pretty well known. It says, racism isn't born, folks, it's taught. He says, I have a two-year-old daughter or two-year-old son, and you know what? The only thing he hates, it's naps. 
But I think if you really look at it, and, and I had an experience of this with, with my wife Lisa and our two kids when we went to Hartford the other day for this thing called Revitalize. We took, you know, we had this big initiative through Valleybrook and we took families, you know, from Valleybrook in this area into Hartford, you know, basically to spread awareness about health incentives, you know, different farmers markets and different healthcare options and all these things. And so, you know, I'm going to be, and I told this the first service, I didn't tell Lisa really exactly where we were going, but I volunteered with our group to, to basically be in one of the notoriously rougher areas of the north end of Hartford on Barber Street. And so, and if, if some of you are familiar, or if you watch the news, Hartford doesn't always have the best reputation. Um, some of that I think is, is fabricated, some I think is, is legitimate based off of crime and violence and those things. And so, you know, but I love Hartford. I love serving Hartford. And, and, but my view of walking on the streets of Barber Street versus like when I'm by myself at Hartford Project versus when I'm with my wife and my four-year-old daughter and my one-year-old son is very different. And my demeanor changed in, in a big way. And so we went to Hartford and we prayed ahead of time. We started walking down these streets that we normally probably wouldn't walk down, just telling people. But the most beautiful thing was my four-year-old, you know, blonde hair, blue-eyed, white-as-can-be daughter was leading the way with these bags, running up to kids and their families, you know, handing them bags, saying, Jesus loves you. And the dad, the dad, like the risk assessment dad mode, I'm like, she's going down this road. Who's she talking to? There's a group of guys over there. What are they, like, I'm literally in this setting, like having a panic attack. I lead students all the time. When it's your kids, I don't care. It's when it's my kids. <laughs> I mean, but my daughter, there's this beautiful thing. And, and I'm not going to say that she didn't see color because she did. She saw a beauty of people that were darker skinned than she was in different cultures, but it didn't matter to her because she hadn't grown up yet with these ingrown prejudices that we get through our society and through our experiences. And so I remember on the way home, you know, Grace said to Lisa and I, she said, Daddy, can we go back to Hartford again tomorrow and love people like Jesus did? But it was this pure form of seeing that racial and cultural you know, divides that might have affected the way that I might have viewed certain situations, my daughter didn't care about. So the question is, why do people become racist? Where does this come from? How does this happen? You know, I think through some studies that I've read, I think that there's three main you know, reasons, and I'm sure there's a lot of offshoot reasons, but I think one of them is you know, people uh, become racist or, or highly prejudiced because they're victims of hatred. Maybe they're victims of racism. You know, same way that the Samaritans in the Jewish culture, you know, because the Samaritans were victims of racism from the they just learned to hate back. Or maybe somebody that they know and love, you know, is, is a victim. And so there's this, this hatred that kind of brews. You know, maybe it's taught. You know, thank God I wasn't raised in a home like this, but I know that, you know, I've had some friends that, you know, parents would say stuff like, well, in our family, we don't hang around people like that. You know, growing up, or not growing up, but living in, in, you know, the South and having a lot of friends from the deep South, I heard things like that all the time. Or three, and I think that honestly, church, this is, you know, one of my biggest guilt areas. And I think for a lot of us, it's just pure ignorance. And I use that word very, because I know that some people that can be a sensitive, like more like intense word, but that's exactly what it is. Pure ignorance, and it's a lack of exposure or perspective. And so we build our thoughts based on the news or the media or culture or movies or whatever, or conversations or gossip, and we literally have no experience and no perspective. And so we're building our prejudices based off of ignorance. But no matter the reason, 
we need to recognize this one thing, and this is the most important thing that I'm going to say from the stage this morning, and this is something that we're unified as a church leadership around. Racism is not a skin issue, it is a sin issue. And I don't think that churches and pastors have done a, a good enough job of in the midst of our political climate to stand up and say, listen, racism is not a skin issue, it's a sin issue. That the heart and the foundation of what racism is and what prejudice is, is so far from the heart of Jesus. It's so far foundationally from the heart of God. In fact, you see in James 2.9 it says this, but if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. So church, we have to call it what it is. It's not right before God, and it shouldn't be right before us. So this raises the big question, and this is kind of, you know, where I sat in my study is, as followers of Jesus, how are we called to love our neighbors? How are we called to come against and speak against um, racism that seemingly is becoming rampant in our culture? and has been for a long time. How do we do that? What, what does that look like? But what I do believe is the church needs to do that. We need to actually, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, need to be on the forefront of that. But what does that look like in our lives, even personally? And so there's three things I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of go over this morning, you know, briefly, as, that will kind of help us learn how to, tr how to neighbor others well. The first one is this, and this is, I think, probably one of the hardest. It's recognize any prejudices in our own lives. This is really difficult to do because prejudices are hard to see in the mirror. We might feel justified or we might feel, or we might feel justified about how we feel about someone else. I had a friend um, in Tennessee, his name was Matt Blair, he's one of my closest friends. Uh, he was a black guy, um, you know, big, buff, like he was, he was very fit, I was very jealous. Um, but Matt, you know, we, for a long time, and again, I loved Matt. He was my, it wasn't an in, inbred out of, of hatred, but I would use the joke all the time, oh, this is Matt, he's my, he's the black, he's our token black guy, is a joke that I would say all the time. You know, or hi, this is Matt, he's my black friend. Like, just like joking around in my mind, innocent joking, but not realizing that the words that were coming out of my mouth were exposing a, a condition and a prejudice in my heart. Because I don't think, I think a lot of times, like church, I think we confuse this. We look on the TV and we see what's happening in Charlotte, or we look at the KKK, or we look at these extreme cases of like, I want to kill you because you're another color, and we say, oh, because I'm not that, I'm good. But the reality is, is, if we take a really good hard look in the mirror, we can identify that we all carry prejudices in our own hearts, and we need to identify them and call it what it is, which is wrong. Accidental racism... It's something that's, that's, I think, a big issue that we have. You know, there was this story as I was researching of a, a pastor in Texas, and, you know, he, he just got this job at this big mega church in Texas. It was like this really amazing move. He bought a house. He, he bought a decent-sized house. His wife was very successful as well, you know, in this big, you know, area, in, in this big home, or affluent area. And so his first week, you know, and, and he's, he's, you know, from Mexico. He's a Latino guy. And so his first week, he's out in front of the house, and he's mowing his lawn, and one of his neighbors, this is his house, he just bought, one of his neighbors comes up to him and says, hey, how much do you charge for doing lawns? It was an accident. I'm sure this person wasn't like, hey, I want this guy to know what I think of him. Like, but it was like there was a prejudgment made or an opinion being made by the color of this guy's skin having no, no conversation and not really that this is actually his house. 
You know, I, I have to be honest, you know, that happens sometimes, I think, you know, especially after 9-11 hit, you know, when I was on an airplane once and, you know, a Middle Eastern gentleman walks on the plane and it was closer to 9-11 than now. And I remember I was sitting, I was coming from Nashville to Hartford and I was sitting next to a good old boy and, and he said, oh, did you see that guy? So what are we going to do? What are we going to do when he, you know, tries to bomb the plane or something along those lines? And I'm sitting there, but in my head, I might have not said something as blatant as that, but in my head, purely because of the color of his skin, I was making a prejudgment and I was, I was deciding something about him, you know, because of just purely the color of his skin. If we're really honest, we can see that prejudice is something that I think a lot of us and all of us actually deal with. You know, some of us were raised with some of these prejudices. You know, maybe you were raised with the prejudice that rich people are snobs or heavy people are lazy or the younger generation, the millennials don't work. I have a job and I'm a millennial. Thank you very much. I've been at my job for a long time. So there's all these stereotypes about millennials, but there's all these things. I hear it all the time. You know, old people are useless and can't teach you anything. White guys can't jump. There's all of these, I think, preconceptions and you know, prejudices that are grown and ingrained in us depending on where we grew up. But we have to, we have to have the courage to acknowledge and admit our prejudice. You know, the sentence that I think is really dangerous that I've heard and, and said, you know, in the past is this, I'm not racist, but there is no good, nothing good that comes after the but in that sentence. I'm not racist, but, because we're trying to qualify the sinful attitude of our hearts. It takes courage and honesty, church, and integrity to recognize truthfully any prejudices and racisms in our heart and admit it before God and repent from it. The second way that we can um, learn how to love neighbors across you know, boundaries, and especially across racial boundaries, is seek to understand others. If you know anything about me, and you probably figured it out at this point in the morning, I like to talk. I'm a talker. I love conversations, I love talking, but in this subject I learned very quickly that I needed to stop talking and start listening. And so actually this morning, I've asked a couple of my close friends from, from Valley Brook um, to come up and share a little bit. You guys can come on up. Because as I was studying you know, in this topic and as I was having conversations, I realized something you know, very important that in these topics, a lot of times we have these concepts, but we separate the humanity from them. We separate people from them. And so I asked, you know, Matt Miller and Luis and Henry Alvarez to come up and, and just share a little bit about their perspective on this topic. Because as I said, my perspective is very limited, but they have a perspective. Even in talking with them this week, and Matt and I, we began this conversation a while back, I have been humbled um, just to hear how they've experienced racism and prejudice in their own lives. And so um, I appreciate you guys coming and, and sharing this morning. Thanks for, for service. But, uh, you know, I guess the question, yeah. I, But I guess the question that I love, you know, as we're all trying to gain perspective on this, um, you know, what are some experiences that you've had in your personal life in dealing with, with racism and prejudice? Okay. Hi, everyone. Um, so the example that I used was uh, from college. One of my good buddies from school, he uh, was dating this girl who was from Connecticut. Our school was up in New Hampshire. And he took a trip down most weekends to go and visit her. Um, but one of the weekends, she actually came up to New Hampshire to visit him, and she introduced, well, he introduced me to her and said, hey, this is one of my really good friends. Um, she didn't really have a response. Um, 
and later on he came back to me and was like, oh, well, um, she told me it's either you or her um, because they were dating and she was like, it's not okay that he's black. Um, so he actually chose me and we're still good friends to this day, but it's, it was a tough choice for him. So, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm glad it worked out yeah. really well, you know, but I think as a person, how did that, like just as a man, how did that make you feel to hear that somebody, like there's that hatred and somebody would make a comment like that to you? Um, at the time it was tough, but um, I think I was already somewhat prepared because of my experiences earlier on in life. Um, in high school, um, my family moved from uh, Windsor, which is a pretty diverse town, to Ellington and that was sort of a culture shock the first time I walked into that cafe. I was like, whoa, I've never seen that many white people in one place. <laughs> um, so it was an adjustment for sure, and um, some of the experiences there um, were pretty rough. There were some people that just didn't like me because I was black, um, but I think it was more difficult um, with the people who were friendly to me but didn't show love because of my skin color. Um, so all of those things in high school prepped me for having that expectation when going into other situations. Yeah. How about you guys? So um, I, I grew up an inner city Latino kid. And growing up, I mean, it, it was, it was a, a lifestyle. Like we just knew that we were gonna look at a certain way because of what we've experienced. And um, so, and I'll focus on the workforce. Um, I work for the federal government and um, I believe that I've just had to prove myself much more than others even in the workforce. I worked a couple years ago on um, statistics and, and doing numbers as to how are we maintaining our agency as far as um, the number of minorities that we should have um, work in our workforce. And, um, and it's amazing because, you know, the lower level um, of minorities is the percentages are kind of, they're pretty good. But once you start growing into those higher positions, the numbers plummet significantly. And, you know, it just, it just shows there how me as a minority, you know, getting to that position that I am, you know, I had to prove myself, you know, that, you know, non-educational wise, because we all have the same education, you know, we all have the same background, same experience, but just because I'm realistic, this is what they're looking at, you know? What are you thinking when you're looking to hire, you know, or to promote a person that looks like this? And so I've had to prove myself even more and um, to get to where, where I am, and that's just the reality. That, that's how I wake up every day, you know, just going to work and saying, what else can I do today to prove myself to even get to a higher position that I would like to get to? And, you know, and it just, you know, I mentioned as a child, I mean, I, we went, I grew up this way, and this is how we grew up, you know, especially living in those pockets, you know, inner cities, you know, Puerto Rican kids, or, you know, however they, they call, you know, the, those, communities, but you know, um, when we moved to um, the last place where we were at in Maryland, um, my son, he's, we've always, he's always grown up in a, um, 
you know, I don't want to offend, but in a more white neighborhood type, you know, just because of the choices of what we've lived in. Um, and so uh, we, when we, re we got him to the new school, he was not at the levels, you know, that they wanted him to be as far as reading goes. And um, the comment that she made, the teacher made to me was, it's okay, we understand because English is his second language. And I was just in shock, like, why would you assume that? Why would you attribute that his levels were not at the standards that you want him to be because English is his second language? And I told her, English is not his second language. The English is all he's known. We speak English at home. You know, so this is the type of stuff that, you know, they looked at him that way because it was a parent-teacher conference, and I guess she assumed that. Sure. Um, and I forgot to mention, yeah, one thing that I will point out from like every office that I've been at at work, the same question always comes up. And this has been more than 16 years working where the same agency I'm at. And the question they always ask me is, why is your English so good? I'm like, why is it not supposed, if you know me, I'm very sarcastic. Can I just tell people the way it is? <laughs> Why is it not supposed to be, you know? Like, I read the same books as you. I got educated just like you. I got the same certifications as you. Everything has, why, why, you know? So, but that's the reality, you know? And it's sad to say that I've accepted that when we shouldn't, but I've accepted that I'm just going to have to prove myself. How about you, Henry? <laughs> Hello. Um, yeah, like I said before, I did experience, um, I went to a job um, interview, we could say it like that. And the first guy, the first gentleman that received me, he was like pretty nice, friendly and everything. And then he was like, let me introduce you to the, to the owner of the business. I went to the owner of the business to his office and I sat down and as soon as he started me asking questions and as, as soon as I replied to him, he was like, you, got a, you have a very heavy accent. So I was like, okay. I just like, okay. And then he was like, uh, but you know, I was applying for one position, but then he offered me a lower position just because of the heavy accent I, I show was he, yeah. notice I have. But. Yeah. And we were talking about that the other day, how, you know, sometimes there's the assumption made with people that you know have accents that you know because you know Henry does have you know a thicker accent that he's less intelligent and for me I'm like I step back from that and I say well hang on you speak two languages you know like I, I you know me speaking Spanish to you it would be way heavier of an accent so I just think that it's but there are and I think one of the the themes that you know in talking with you guys and a lot of other friends that is a sad theme but I think it is a reality is that you know and Matt said it's something that they just learn to accept and, and recognize. And Louisa, like, you know, you said for a service every morning you wake up saying, you know, how am I gonna have to prove myself today? Um, and I gotta be honest, like I've never had to have those thoughts. Um, but as, you know, cause these aren't just three random people that I picked because they have different color skin. I'm like, oh, you guys, like, these are three of my friends. These are members of our church. They serve, you know, Henry and Lisa serve on our, our worship team. I'm sure that you've seen them. You know, Matt, you know, helped run our young adults. He does landscaping, a bunch of different things. You know, these are my friends. These are our family church. And so to hear that they're going through things that we might have never experienced, I think a lot of times we can try to push that away or qualify it or, or, or explain it. But the reality is, is that because of the prejudices and because of racism in our culture, 
they live a different life, and, and, and in a lot of ways, a, a more difficult um, or, or complicated life, you know, um, you know, being parents and, and, and working and those types of things. And so I wanted to thank you guys so much. Can we just give them a round of applause for sharing this morning? You know, I would encourage you, if, if that's the first conversation that you've heard around this, with this subject with somebody you know, that has a different skin color, I would encourage you to have them. Because it's so important to, again, not just separate these issues from the humanity behind them. The last way that we can love our neighbor, and, and we'll close with this, is, um, or how to neighbor, is to, to love those who are different from you. This is what God calls us to do. As I was researching you know, for this message, there is a story that um, I think is the, probably the most inspiring story, uh, the most inspiring crossing the road, like we talked about earlier, crossing the road story of love. And it comes from this story, um, it's, well, history, but in 1996, there was a group of KKK, um, you know, people, guys, you know, uh, that held a, a big rally in Michigan. And so they were rallying in Michigan, people knew about it, it was advertised, and so the police you know, were, were you know, going forward and kind of setting up barricades because they knew that where the KKK was rallying, there was gonna be protesters as well. And they were trying to prevent, in, in kind of an anger-filled you know, type of rally, trying to prevent you know, um, violence from happening. And so they set up these barricades, you know, but there was this situation where one, you know, it reads that there's one KKK member who infiltrated, you know, from the, the KKK side to the protester side. And, and he was wearing, um, you know, swastikas and, and Confederate flags and this white nationalist propaganda. You can see in the picture, he's out there on the ground and he, he went onto the other side and then somebody was heard from, from the protesters saying, kill the Nazi. And the crowd surrounded this man and started beating him to death. But then there's this crazy thing that happens. See, this girl on the ground is not hitting him. She's not beating him up. But instead, her name is 18-year-old Keisha Thomas. She's an African-American girl who threw her body on top of this man so they would stop beating him. And this is a famous picture. What would cause a girl to put herself at physical risk to protect a man who likely wanted, who, wanted to and would promote harming her purely because of the color of her skin. Who does this? Uh, I'll tell you who a committed believer, she's you know, a Catholic Christian, and she was quoted saying, I knew what it was like to be hurt. The many times that that happened to me, I wish somebody would have stood up for me. See, Keisha crossed the street to protect somebody different than her. She went out of her way and put her life in danger and took a risk to protect somebody that was different than her. This church is how you neighbor. She now has a platform and she speaks out against racism. Um, you know, she says that she tries to do something small every day to help break down uh, you know, racial stereotypes. And, and she says it's not grand gesture. She said just think small. And she's quoted saying the biggest thing that you can do is to just be kind to another human being. It can come down to eye contact or a smile. It doesn't have to be a huge monumental act. It's just showing love and decency. It's treating another human being like another human being. See, church, racism isn't just the presence of hatred. Racism is the absence of love. 
Now, why would you say, why is this important for a church in North Granby, Connecticut to be having these conversations? And it's because church, we are supposed to be known not by how great our theology is, not by our church attendance or how much money we have or how beautiful of our building is. The, the, the Bible does not say they'll know you by all of those things, but instead the Bible says they will know you by your love. And so if we're not being loved, if we're not crossing the street, if we're not helping those who might look different than us or who we might not understand or who we might not even be realizing that this is going on, then we're not being loved and we're not being the church. But here's, you know, if, if you don't hear anything else this morning, I want you to hear this, especially if you're new here and if you're not, you know, and if you felt any weirdness about being here, I hope you understand it doesn't matter. Here at Valley Brook, at this church, it does not matter the color of your skin, what you've done, what your background is, whoever you are, you are welcomed here and you are loved. I pray that you understand that that's not just my heart, that's God's heart. That whatever your cultural upbringing, whatever you've done, whatever you look like, whatever you might feel, that here you are welcomed, you are safe and you are loved. Galatians 3.28, Paul has this great scripture that says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I want to end with these statements because we are all one. God loves Asian American, African American, Latin Americans, Native Americans, even Americans who have cats. It's a joke, church. Let's go. God loves Cubans, Hondurans, Nigerians, Jamaicans, Koreans, Malaysians, Canadians, Palestinians, Iranians, Croatians, Russians, etc. God created everyone and heaven will be wonderfully and amazingly diverse. You know, John has this vision in the book of Revelation that says this. This is so powerful. It says, there before me, and he was looking into heaven, this vision of heaven. There before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, people, and language standing before the throne of God and they cried out in a loud voice salvation belongs to our God salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb see church racism, racism is unacceptable to God unacceptable to us and will not be tolerated in this church Racism is not a skin issue, it's a sin issue. And even when Jesus again was asked who to neighbor, he didn't say who to neighbor, he said how to neighbor, because everybody is asked and commanded in God's word to cross the street and help those in need. And so church, as we leave today, this is my challenge to you. We went over three things. Three ways that we can neighbor those different, and we can be part, as a church, be proactive in being part of this solution. We can recognize any prejudices. I would challenge you to go home and have a hard look in the mirror of how you think about people, about the jokes that you might make, about the things that you might say, about the things that you might repost on Facebook, and realize that those prejudices is when we judge somebody, not based on who they are or a conversation, but purely based on how they look or the color of their skin. But be honest with yourself. The second, again, was this, that we need to seek others and understand. Have a conversation. Ask your friends who have, might have a different background. They can even be maybe the same color skin, but have a different upbringing. Understand that this is a humanity and there are people behind these stories and people who are getting hurt. 
and love those. We are commanded to love those who are different than us. Because church, again, they'll know us by our love. So I know that this is a complicated topic for some of you. This is a topic that for some of you can be politically charged. This is a topic for some of you hit so close to home because what you've experienced. This is confusing for many. And what I would say is let this not be the end because this is not the the end all be all message. Now it's fixed and we're good, we can go home. But this is a beginning of a conversation here at Valley Brook saying how can we as a church be on the forefront of solving or beginning to solve this problem because it is an issue. You heard it from three of your members up front that it's still an issue and we need to be on the forefront of loving people better. So those three things, my church, I challenge you this week. Look at yourself, talk to others and seek to step out and cross the street. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that you made us diverse. Father, we thank you that that's one of the most beautiful parts of the church that we read about in in Acts and in Romans and in the Corinthians that Paul was writing is the diversity of the church. We thank you that you made it that way on purpose. And Father, we repent for the prejudices that we hold in our own hearts. Father, we repent for the ways that we have enabled instead of spoken out against racism in our culture. And Father, I pray that you would, through your Holy Spirit, you would reveal and convict to each one of us the areas in our lives that we might hold thoughts or opinions or prejudices or racist things in our hearts. And God, I pray that we would repent from those. We'd admit them, identify them, repent from them. But Father, as a church, that we would be diligent and intentional about loving people that we might not understand. Not because we feel like it, but because that's your mandate to us as Christ followers. Father, help us to neighbor well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you for coming this morning. I know this is like a big kind of beginning topic, um, but this was intentional because it's the beginning of a conversation. Um, If you are a guest this morning, we're so glad that you came here with us to Valley Brook. I, again, would challenge you right outside in the lobby is uh, our Welcome Center. Go grab. We have a welcome bag for you. Um, Also, today is step three of the growth track. Um, The growth track is basically a big way that you can learn about our church, how you can connect with it, and also how you can learn about yourself and God's plan and design for you. It's a really great way. It's a four-week course, but you can jump in at any time. So today, I believe, is week three. Um, So that's happening at 1230 out in the venue. So if you started growth track and haven't, just today's a great day to to finish that up. And if you've never gone, you can check it out today. Um, But again, I just want to thank you for coming. Please continue to pray for Pastor Clark and his healing, but he's doing great. We'll keep you updated uh, through the Facebook and through our news and reminders that you can sign up for online. Let me give you, um, let me give you the blessing. I just want to make sure I didn't forget anything here. All right, I got them all. Let me give you the blessing and then you guys can head out to the cafe. May the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the grace of Jesus be with you now and forever. Go in peace. Thanks. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.